Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Thank you, brother. Thank you, John, Ellis, and Elias. Um, Yes, it is time for children to go downstairs if you're going to children's church. Well, we've been uh, on a sermon series talking about calling, and we've talked about what does it mean. Uh, We've talked about our fundamental calling as believers, and we've been talking about specific callings. This morning, we're going to be talking about marriage and singleness. Um, So I've um, I've got a lot to say. Uh, There's quite a bit on this topic. Um, I think as I was really praying and discerning about how to to speak and approach this morning, I'm going to focus on a a couple of elements here. One is around um, what what does the Bible say about uh, marriage and God's vision for it, Um, and uh, as well as what does God say about being unmarried and God's vision for that. And then I'll talk about uh, discerning. How, how do we discern whether to, to get married? And I, I will say um, certainly there's lots of uh, advice and practical tips that we could talk about. Um, but I think just uh, given the amount of time we have this morning, um, that's really going to be the focus. Um, I'm married now. Uh, my wife, Stephanie, uh, we've been married almost 14 years. Um, but I was single for a, a while, um, and I came to the Lord at an early age, but really it was uh, my first year of college where um, I really surrendered my life to the Lord, and really for the next uh, 12 years, I was working out what does it mean to be a believer who's not married, and whether or not as a believer I was called to be married, was it my choice? Uh, and I really spent a lot of time in the Word trying to understand what Scripture says about this. Um, and, and actually, I found it uh, difficult to have conversations that were really grounded in what does Scripture say about this. I think, uh, whether in the church or out of the church, I think we just bring a lot of kind of unspoken cultural assumptions about marriage, which I probably still do as well. But I really want to focus this morning on what does Scripture say and what can we take away from Scripture and apply to our, to our lives as believers. Um, so I guess first is I wanted to kind of do a quick check um, in terms of relevance and applicability. So who here today is, uh, according to the state of Texas, legally married? Okay, keep your hands up. Who today is not? Can you raise your hand? Keep your hands up. Okay, so I think we've got good coverage here uh, for the topic because today we're going to be talking about what the Bible says to us in both of those situations. Um, so, w- again, going, going back to, to Scripture, re- really what we're looking to do um, is to follow Christ. We're looking to allow Christ to speak into every area of our lives um, And whether we're married or not married, I'm sure that you think about what does it mean to be married or unmarried uh, often. And what we're we're looking to do is to look at Scripture this morning and then to allow 
the Lord to lead us into that uh, life, into the life that he has for us. So, um, you know, if you've done this before, as I, I suspect many of you have, um, you know that it is, can be a, a, a change. It can require change. And sometimes change can be difficult. Um, and so I guess I just want to ask, are we, are we ready to, like, hear what God has to say about this? Okay. Uh, you know, just because we're ready to hear, that's a good first step. And uh, I know that hearing isn't all that we're called to do, but uh, we, we need to be ready to hear first and then allow the Lord to lead us uh, in what we hear. So first, I wanted to talk about God's purpose for marriage and the unmarried life. Um, so I'm an engineer, and whenever I want to figure something out, if I can't figure out how something works, uh, one of the first things I do is go to the manual, go back to who made it, who, who made this tool that I am struggling with operating correctly, who made it. Uh, let me see how they designed it, what they designed it for, and uh, I want to troubleshoot why it's not working for me. Um, so I wanted us to go back all the way to the beginning, uh, Genesis 1. If you ha have your Bibles, you can turn there. I think we'll have it on the screen as well. So I'm going to read this. We've talked about this um, already as Brandon was introducing uh, the, the calling of work, uh, if, if you remember that. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So Brandon mentioned we call this the creation mandate, um, but it includes a multiplying, filling the earth, and subduing it or having dominion over it. So productivity and fruitfulness. So it's God made man, mankind. He put um, man here to be uh, fruitful and to live in the earth. But uh, God intended for this productivity and fruitfulness to be fulfilled not just through one man. So it's interesting that you know, God, God made uh, Adam first, but God didn't intend for this mandate to be fulfilled with just Adam or just men. He had a grander vision. Can you turn this one on? Okay, good. I'll just, I'll just hold it. Okay, so um, we were going to look at Genesis chapter 2. <clears throat> so, so God had a, had a grander vision than just creating one person. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, 
and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We've already discussed this passage before in our previous series because Jesus quoted this passage when he talked about divorce. Um, so we're, you know, we covered that. Uh, we talked about uh, the divorce already. But today I want to draw our focus to God's statement where he says that it's not good for man to be alone. It's not a comment on the effect of sin because this was before the fall. So God looked at Adam. He wasn't lonely because of sin, um, but God said that he, it wasn't good for him to be alone. Uh, this mandate that God had to multiply, to f- be fruitful, to, to be um, productive, and to do the work that God had called as well as um, to be to have dominion over the earth, this needed to, um, more than just Adam in God's plan. And God looked, and there weren't, this wasn't just about getting help with his work. There were many beasts of labor that he could have um, given Adam, and he already had. Um, this, this, wasn't, um, this wasn't about that. And, and God didn't choose to make just more men. Um, he, again, if this was just there needed, there was a bigger job to be done. Uh, but there's something here in God seeing that um, there wasn't another helper suitable for what God designed Adam and mankind to do, that he created woman. He created, this is a really a beautiful model for with the diversity of male and female, creating what he says here is one flesh. So there's, there's unity, but there's also diversity to create a, a new creature. This is a married, married couple that's now one flesh that is now fulfilling the mandate that God has given to humankind. Now, the first time that scripture says Adam and Eve had sexual relations was after the fall. So we don't know for a fact uh, whether they did before, um, but they were, we know they were naked and they were unashamed, but God had already created sexuality. He didn't recreate them after the fall. So we know that that was in his mind already for sure. Um, like the tree in the garden, um, sexuality was created for a purpose, and it is good when it's expressed within God's purposes. Um, and, and when we look at the world, I, you know, a lot of times it's good to kind of take a step back and say, okay, this is a story from a long time ago. Um, we try to read a lot into God's intent from this, from this story. But if we look at the history of humans, um, clearly there is this great momentum towards sexual expression and romantic involvement, is, isn't there? I mean, we don't, you know, we don't have to teach people that you, you ought to think about sexuality, you ought to think about having a deep, intimate relationship with another person. This is in us. This is part of what God um, put in us when he created us. But I'd like to move now from the creation story ahead to what Jesus said about it, because I think what, what we see in the way that Jesus talked about marriage, in the way that Jesus both talked about and lived out sexuality and uh, being unmarried himself, I think we see very different things than what was common understanding of marriage in Jesus's day. And I think we'll also see very 
different ideas about marriage and being unmarried than what we see in our culture today. And again, going back to what, what I said earlier, um, we ought to expect that when we go to the Lord and follow him in this, because this is something the world already thinks about and talks about, we should expect that what we hear from Jesus is going to challenge us to live in a different way. Well, Jesus <clears throat> said that marriage was not eternal. In Matthew twenty-two thirty, 30, um, in, in response to a trick question, uh, Jesus says that in the resurrection, they do not marry, nor are they given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So one thing Jesus is saying here is that marriage is not an eternal state. Uh, this was surprising for many to hear when he, when he said this. He also said that the expression of one's sexual or romantic desires was not fundamental to our identity, was not core to our identity. We can be ourselves without expressing our sexuality. That's, that's an interesting thing. So what he says in Matthew 20, in the Matthew 19, 11 through 12 is that there are eunuchs. And that sometimes God ordains people to live as eunuchs. Um, sometimes eunuchs are created by man or themselves. So it is possible for us, just like many other ways that God calls us to live, it is possible for, for people to be fully human and yet not sexually active. It's, it's possible. And this was surprising to the Jews, and I would say it's, it's probably cult culturally surprising to many today in our, in our culture who would say that unless you're expressing the sexual desires that you have and you're active sexually, um, you, you aren't being fully human or fully yourself. Jesus himself, didn't he live a very productive life? You know, going back to the creation mandate, fulfilling the creation mandate of being fruitful and multiplying, but he did it in a, in a spiritual way. So he was fruitful spiritually. He didn't have children. He, he wasn't in a marriage. Uh, think about John the Baptist, who lived a, another similar single, unmarried life, but was fruitful and powerful in the kingdom of God. Jesus also, if you remember, confronted the common view that adultery was more acceptable for men than for women. He confronted that. It's unacceptable, whether you're a man or not. We also see through Jesus's and Paul's teaching that we're not slaves to our sexual desires nor the romantic drive. Jesus teaches that we can and should cut off whatever causes us to sin. So if we have something that is causing us to sin, that's something we need to address with the Lord. It's not something that we would say, I'm just made this way. Paul teaches that we're new creations in Christ, that when we come to Christ, we're made a new creature. He reforms us. He transforms our mind, our spirit, our relationships, 
One of the clearest passages that talk about marriage and being unmarried and how to discern the purpose and how to discern whether to be uh, to become married is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I'm going to read a few verses there. Again, we're just hearing what does Scripture say about marriage and being unmarried. So 1 Corinthians 7, I'll read uh, four kind of scattered verses here that address what we're talking about. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. And this links very clearly to what Paul taught, that when we come to Christ, we are a new creature. This is so fundamental and transformative to our understanding of who we are and what is our core identity. When we come to the Lord, he transforms who we are. We are a new creation. And Paul says here, there are lots of questions the Corinthians have in response to a crazy, sinful world that they're in about marriage, about sexual expression. And what what Paul is saying here is when you become a Christian, when you give your life to Christ, when the Holy Spirit indwells you, that is such a transformative event that you ought to focus on that. That's what your focus ought to be. How do you grow in the Lord? And what he, what he says here is that there is a strong bias towards not seeking to change external situations. Now, the Lord leads many of us who come to the Lord to then get married. Right? So, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is the way Paul talks about marriage here and the way Jesus talks about marriage really challenges a view that this is the most important decision that you can make. And until you make it, you need to live in anxiety. That, that's kind of another, that's, an, that's another way of thinking about this that Paul challenges. We need to see, go back to, the reason we started the series with things like John's sermon, that our identity is, we are a family of God. We are citizens in a new kingdom. That is our fundamental calling that we all share. And that needs to come first before we start thinking about whether or not to be, uh, whether or not to be married. Paul also talked about marriage as a mystical representation of the kingdom of God. And we're going to talk about Ephesians 5 here in a minute. But ho- hopefully it's clear when we put all of these passages together that we can see that Jesus' view, God's view of marriage is very different than what we would just pick up going around looking at tv watching social media it's very different than that it's uh i i think pretty radical um for for us today there's a lot of there's a lot of things here i've listed that um that these these passages confront a lot of different assumptions that are made that these passages confront. But I, but I think I've covered most of them. 
Um, but this is why that for a Christian, marriage and the unmarried life are both, I would say, prophetic and practical ministries. If we're going to live in the Lord, if we're going to follow the Lord as a married couple, if we're going to follow the Lord as unmarried people, it's going to look very different. And it is part of our ministry to live in such a way that we are pointing to God's mandate, that we are pointing to God's view and God's vision of uh, marriage and um, uh, being unmarried. There, there isn't, another way to say this is there really isn't a neutral lifestyle, a default neutral lifestyle that we ought to pick up, whether it's being single, leaving a, living a single life, whether it's everyone should get married. There's nothing really neutral here. Uh, when we come to the Lord, he becomes our shepherd, and we need to ask him, what we're going to do, and when we become married, or whether we remain unmarried, he has a purpose, a prophetic and practical purpose for us living that out, so that it points back to our creator, and back to Jesus. So I think, you know, one of the things I've seen is, um, is that we and our as, as people, but also within the church, we, we tend to often kind of promote one of these ways of living uh, as kind of a default. Like, you don't really, if you're going to be married, you don't really need to think about it. You should just get married. But wow, if you're going to be single, you need to put a lot of thought into that because that is a little bit out there. Or vice versa. You know, even today in our culture, I would say, you know, the default is you should be single unless there's a huge compelling case for you to make a huge lifelong commitment that could go wrong and could result in a lot of pain. But there's no, in, in the Lord, there's, there's no real default choice here where we don't have to seek him and we don't have to pray about it. And in the same way, there's no default, there's not one of these choices, not one of these ways of living that prevents us from honoring and glorifying him from prophetically pointing to the purpose of male and female, the purpose of uh, God creating marriage. So I wanted to talk about both of those and talk about how. How do they, how are those uh, ways of living or these callings or vocations, you, you might call them, how are they prophetic and practical ministry? So first I want to talk about marriage. And again, this isn't a marriage class. Um, if you're married or thinking about getting married, I, you should take one, um, certainly. But we're not, we're not going to have the time to go through a, a lot of the details there. But um, I want to look at Ephesians 5, which is one of the best passages, I think, that help us understand a very high view that God has of marriage and what he intends. Uh, Ephesians 5, 22 to 32 so um, Paul says to wives to submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, which is Christ's body, and Christ himself is its savior. And as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Uh, husbands to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, 
that he might sanctify her, cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This is, again, referencing back to what God said when he created man and woman. But what I hope you can see here is the references to marriage representing and pointing to Christ's relationship with the church. Christ loving the church deeply. Christ giving himself up for her. Christ being in a union with the church, a spiritual union with the church. And this is what marriage is intended to represent and to point to. Um, you know, as, as, a, as a married man, I would say, first of all, wow. I mean, this is how, <laughs> how can we hope to live like this? This is, this is just too glorious to live up to, isn't it? I mean, I know I see husbands shaking their heads. You know, this is a, a, a very big ask, but I want it, we, we have to remember that we are new creatures in Christ. If, and if we're new creatures, then we also have a new understanding, we have a new mindset, and we have new objectives, new purposes, and new patterns that we live into. Now, when you think back to what happened to Adam, remember God took, put, it, put Adam into a deep sleep and, and took a rib out of his side. And and then closed him back up and then and then brought Eve to him. And, you know, I think about Christ as well. I mean, this is a mystery, okay? This is a mystery. Paul says multiple times this is a mystery. So we can talk about the mysterious nature of what is happening here. But when Jesus was on the cross, do you remember after he died? Do you remember um, they, to, to prove that he was dead, do you remember they... They cut him. They, they, they used a spear and stabbed him, and, and blood and water uh, poured out. And Jesus' death, you know, pouring out his blood, is the foundation of the church. This is, this is where the church came from, was from the sacrifice of Christ. It's a mystery, and it's something we can reflect on. Every day, there's something new that God can show us about how much he loves us and how much Christ loves us as we walk out being in a marriage relationship. And Paul says, again, going back to 1 Corinthians 7, that living like this clearly requires devotion, attention, commitment. Uh, we, don't, we don't live the way Paul just described just on autopilot. It requires devotion. And what Paul says here, 1 Corinthians 7, that the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. 
The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay a restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So first, one thing we need to remember is that understanding Christ's view of of marriage and of living unmarried is not to put constraints on us. Now, this isn't about rules to follow, uh, duty. But what Paul is saying is, for our good, if we are new creatures and we have the Holy Spirit in us, for our good, living lives of devotion to the Lord is the best thing for us. Living devoted to the Lord is the best thing. And what happens is, also a good thing, marriage distracts us from that. And Paul is, you know, in this passage, he's not saying don't be married, but he's saying there is a consequence when we are married, is that it is. And, you know, throw in kids and a job and all of those other things, and we all know what it means to be distracted, to live in a distracted way, to have this, like, compulsion, like, I want to be closer to the Lord, but I'm distracted. And Paul is saying we need to be thoughtful about that. But what he says is, as a, as a married believer, part of your calling is to be devoted to your spouse, to be devoted. And devoted, again, it means we're paying attention, we're committed, we're thinking about it, we're not just thinking about ourselves. So often, for us to live this out requires also dying to the other things that Paul has not listed here that do distract us and that we are devoted to. Okay, what does this passage say about unmarried believers? Now, we see that when you're unmarried, you can enjoy deep spiritual union with Christ, devoted to him. You can spend, focus more of your energies on walking with him, pleasing him. You remember when we were preaching through Mark, we talked about God has created through Christ a new spiritual family, a family that is created by Christ that is, uh, we have fellowship based on our common faith in Jesus and putting our trust in him. And the unmarried Christian is able to live in this family as their new spiritual family. Living a holy life as an unmarried Christian requires daily power. And as you do it, demonstrates the Holy Spirit's power to live in that way. It proclaimed, you know, we talk about at communion, when we take the Lord's Supper, we say that as we're taking the Lord's Supper, we say that we were, we're reminded that Jesus told us to do this, to proclaim his death until he returns. And in the same way, when he returns, we're going to have this marriage supper. We're going to be wed to Christ, the church. And we talk about it as the consummation. 
Um, and for those who are living an unmarried life, you are prophetically showing us how to wait. How to wait for that. And that, and that we can live and wait. We can wait. Waiting is okay. Waiting is good when there's something amazing in the future. Now, there's some common commands and expectations for all of us, um, whether we are married or, sing or single. Um, and for both, in a world of uh, perversion and pleasure, self-discipline is seen as both tragic and sad. But the calling for us as believers is that we would live in purity, sexual purity, and holiness. We're also all called to serve God, whether we're married or unmarried. We're called to be devoted. Paul says if you're married, it's a distracted devotion, but it isn't a trade. We don't say, well, I was devoted to the Lord. Now that I'm married, I'm devoted to my spouse. And you may, you know, maybe, maybe I think about the Lord from time to time. We're all called to be devoted to the Lord. And going back to the creation mandate, we're all called to be fruitful. And it just may look different for each of us, depending on God's calling. I wanted to quote one of the church fathers, uh, Caesarius of Arles. He said, those who practice celibacy should observe fruitfulness in souls. And those who cannot have earthly children should try to beget spiritual ones. All our deeds become children. If we perform good works every day, we shall not lack spiritual offspring. Now, when we talk about calling and discerning God's calling, we, we often focus on major, major life decisions. I, I hear about this a lot. When, we, you know, when someone says, I wanna, I wanna talk more about what does it mean to hear God's will, we, you know, it, it, a lot of times it's because there's a particular large decision um, that someone's trying to make. And we did have a sermon Anna preached about discernment and ho hopefully you were here um, about that. And we talked about the different ways that we can make decisions, um, both daily decisions as well as uh, large decisions in our life. But as we said, um, then one of the ways that we make decisions is by listening to what the scripture says. And so I, don't, I didn't wanna talk so much about how to guide us through a discernment process for those who are not married today, but you know, I'm, I'm sure if you're unmarried, that's something that you've thought about. Um, but I did wanna go just through what does scripture say as sort of some guideposts around some of those decisions or situations we may find ourselves in. So, so first, as we've seen here, if you're married, you need to do all that you can to live into Christ's model for your marriage. Um, I think marriage is awesome. I mean, this isn't a sales pitch, but I, you know, I think it's awesome. Um, but what the, the call is, is not to just enjoy marriage. The call is for you to be devoted to your spouse and to look at what does Christ call me to be in this marriage. If you're a virgin, as we saw uh, here, 
do what you can to remain unmarried. There, there are many reasons to get married. Um, it's not just, as what, what Paul said here, it's not just um, for sexual expression. But our first devotion is to the Lord. Uh, and we need to realize that marriage does distract us from that. If you're in a relationship and you have a strong romantic or sexual desire, you are encouraged here. I mean, again, as I said, that's not the only reason for us to get married, but this is clear instructions from, from Paul that if it's, if, if it's something that's in you, um, you, it's not something to avoid. It's not something that we need to uh, feel shame about. Um, this is something that God created in us. And if you are called to be married, then you should pursue that. Um, if you are not married yet and you feel a calling to be married, you should follow Christ first. Um, pray. Pray for your spouse. Um, as we talked about before, just in terms of general discernment, forming Christian community with those who are following Christ. And, um, you know, just remembering that uh, finding a spouse is not like... Um, finding a car. Uh, it's not Amazon. Um, we're not picking off a menu. Um, this is, again, if we're going to, do, if we're, if you're going to be married, uh, it's because it's God's call for you to do it and think about what you're being called into. So it's something you need to be led by God in. Um, Paul also says here, we didn't read it, but in 1 Corinthians 7, if you're married to an unbeliever, to persevere, to pray, to wait, to serve them, to share in the holiness that you have in Christ, and to hope that they would trust Christ. If your spouse leaves you, persevere, pray, wait, hope they would return. Uh, scripture, Paul, in a couple of places, talks about um, widows and widowers. Uh, you should consider remarrying, especially if you're younger. Oh, there are many other situations I've mentioned and probably great advice for all of those scenarios, but those are clear scriptural uh, commands and guidance around marriage and being unmarried. Uh, you may be not in a relationship or, or struggling with uh, what you know to be unholy desires. You may be in a difficult marriage. You may be separated, uh, recently divorced. Um, there's just so many different scenarios out there, but the principles of we are called to be devoted to Christ and to be led by Christ in every area of our life, including marriage and sexual expression. So I wanted to close with just um, some, some applications about marriage from the passages that we read to us, to the church. Um, so first, you know, I just, I just really wanted to say, I felt just really, really strong kind of as I was preparing for this multiple times coming back to searching continually to fulfill your desires will not satisfy you. So that is, that is not what we are called to in the Lord is to think about and reflect on our desires and continually looking for ways to fulfill those. It will keep you from experiencing peace and it will probably lead to unnecessary 
sadness. You won't be satisfied. Another of the church fathers, uh, Theodore, wrote, it's wrong to suppose that the circumstances which prevailed when a person was converted stand in the way of his becoming holy. Well, similar to what Paul said here. Sometimes we think the one thing I need is X, and it could be many different things. But the fact is that devoting ourselves to the Lord is difficult, no matter what our external circumstances are. And, you know, I did, I did want to say to, you know, to those of you who may not follow Christ today, to look to Christian marriage. Um, we don't fully achieve it. Christians do not fully achieve what I just read we are supposed to live like. Uh, we, we ask for forgiveness, that we are, marriages are supposed to be pointing to Christ's love for the church. And frankly, if that's all the world saw, um, it wouldn't be a very good picture, I think. But I would ask that you, if again, if you don't know the Lord, for you to look at Christian marriage and you would look at the desire that we have and the attempt that we make and that times, times are there where the Holy Spirit is empowering us to live in marriage in a different way. We're able to put each other's needs above our own and, and remain committed to each other, speak truth to each other, help each other do what is right. And when you see that, know that that is because of God. That is because of his power in our lives. And I would say the same thing. If you're an unbeliever, look to the way that those unmarried in the Lord are living. And see the power that they have to serve others, to do what is right, to delay gratification, to wait. If you're married to a believer, be open to see the grace that God has given you through them. And for those who are in the church, <clears throat> if you're married, it's a, good, it's a good day to reflect on whether you are sacrificing to serve your spouse in the way that Jesus asks us to. What are you devoted to? What would other people say you're devoted to if they looked at your life? And if you're unmarried, I just plead with you to devote yourselves to the Lord. And for both married and unmarried, you know, as we're all growing and we're all learning to follow the Lord, it is important, I think, to find models. Well, find models for those who are, who have made it their commitment to be devoted to the Lord. And if they're married, to be devoted to their spouse. And let them encourage you. Talk to them. Ask them for advice and for prayer. And again, going back to our fundamental identity as the family of Christ, we are a family. Now, we're not two categories of people that join on Sunday morning. We're a family. There are married members of our family and there are unmarried members of our family. And it's important for us 
to love each other, to invite each other into our lives, to appreciate in each other the way that we live, and to let the different challenges and the different grace of God in our lives encourage each other. Now we have, you know, some days are harder when you're married. Some days are harder when you're unmarried. They may not be the same difficult day, so then that allows us to, to help each other. So my, my blessing over us is that God would bless our church as we devote ourselves to him and to our marriages. May we be productive and fruitful for his kingdom. I pray this in his name.